Section 23 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 3 by James Boswell, Section 23. Whatever may have passed elsewhere concerning it, the House of Lords is wise and independent. In Taminatis fulgur honoribus, nec sumit aut ponet secures arbitrio popularis aure. Footnote. With stainless lustre virtue shines, a base repulse nor knows nor fears, nor claims her honours nor declines as the light air of crowds uncertain beers. Francis, end of footnote. I have read, conversed, and thought much upon the subject, and would recommend to all who are capable of conviction an excellent tract by my learned and ingenious friend John Ranby, Esquire, entitled Doubts on the Abolition of the Slave Trade. To Mr. Ranby's doubts I will apply Lord Chancellor Hardwick's expression in praise of a Scotch law book called Dealerton's Doubts. His doubts, said his lordship, are better than most people's certainties. Footnote. Sir Walter Scott, in a note to Red Gauntlet, says, Sir John Nisbet of Dealerton's Doubts and Questions upon the Law, especially of Scotland, and Sir James Stewart's Dealerton's Doubts and Questions Resolved and Answered, are works of authority in Scottish jurisprudence. As is generally the case, the doubts are held in more respect than the solution. End of footnote. When I said now to Johnson that I was afraid I kept him up too late, no, sir, said he, I don't care, though I sit all night with you. Footnote. When Boswell first made Johnson's acquaintance, it was he who suffered from the late hours. End of footnote. This was an animated speech from a man in his sixty-ninth year. Had I been as attentive not to displease him as I ought to have been, I know not but this vigil might have been fulfilled, but I unluckily entered upon the controversy concerning the right of Great Britain to tax America, and attempted to argue in favour of our fellow subjects on the other side of the Atlantic. I insisted that America might be very well governed and made to yield sufficient revenue by the means of influence. Footnote. Burke, in present discontents, says, The power of the crown, almost dead and rotten as prerogative, has grown up anew with much more strength and far less odium under the name of influence. Influence, he explains, as the method of governing by men of great natural interest or great acquired consideration. Influence, said Johnson, must ever be in proportion to property, and it is right that it should. To political life might be applied what Johnson wrote of domestic life. It is a maxim no man ever was enslaved by influence while he was fit to be free. End of footnote. 
as exemplified in ireland while the people might be pleased with the imagination of their participating of the british constitution by having a body of representatives without whose consent money could not be exacted from them johnson could not bear my thus opposing his avowed opinion which he had exerted himself with an extreme degree of heat to enforce and the violent agitation into which he was thrown while answering or rather reprimanding me alarmed me so that i heartily repented of my having unthinkingly introduced the subject i myself however grew warm and the change was great from the calm state of philosophical discussion in which we had a little before been pleasingly employed i talked of the corruption of the british parliament in which i alleged that any question however unreasonable or unjust might be carried by a venal majority and i spoke with high admiration of the roman senate as if composed of men sincerely desirous to resolve what they should think best for their country Footnote. boswell falls into what he calls the cant transmitted from age to age in praise of the ancient romans to do so with johnson was at once to provoke an attack for he looked upon the roman commonwealth as one which grew great only by the misery of the rest of mankind moreover he disliked appeals to history general history writes murphy had little of his regard biography was his delight sooner than hear of the punic war he would be rude to the person that introduced the subject mrs piozzi says that no kind of conversation pleased him less i think than when the subject was historical fact or general polity what shall we learn from that stuff said he he never as he expressed it desired to hear of the punic war while he lived the punic war it is clear was a kind of humorous catchword with him she wrote to him in seventeen seventy three so here's modern politics in a letter from me yes and a touch of the punic war too he wrote to her in seventeen seventy five just after she had been at the first regatta held in england you will now find the advantage of having made one at the regatta it is the good of public life that it supplies agreeable topics and general conversation therefore wherever you are and whatever you see talk not of the punic war nor of the depravity of human nature nor of the slender motives of human actions nor of the difficulty of finding employment or pleasure but talk and talk and talk of the regatta he was no doubt sick of the constant reference made by writers and public speakers to rome for instance in bolingbroke's dissertations upon parties we find in three consecutive letters five illustrations drawn from rome End of footnote. my friend would allow no such character to the roman senate and he maintained that the british parliament was not corrupt and that there was no occasion to corrupt its members asserting that there was hardly ever any question of great importance before parliament any question in which a man might not very well vote either on one side or the other 
he said there had been none in his time except that respecting america we were fatigued by the contest which was produced by my want of caution and he was not then in the humour to slide into easy and cheerful talk it therefore so happened that we were after an hour or two very willing to separate and go to bed footnote it is strange that boswell does not mention that on this day they met the duke and duchess of argyle in the street that they did so we learn from piozzi letters perhaps the duchess showed him the same marked coldness as at Inverary. End of footnote. On Wednesday, September twenty-fourth, I went into Dr. Johnson's room before he got up, and finding that the storm of the preceding night was quite laid, I sat down upon his bedside, and he talked with as much readiness and good humour as ever. He recommended to me to plant a considerable part of a large Moorish farm which I had purchased, and he made several calculations of the expense and profit, for he delighted in exercising his mind on the science of numbers. Footnote. In Scotland it was Cocker's arithmetic that he took with him. He was not always correct in his calculations. For instance, he wrote to Mrs. Thrale from Ashbourne less than a fortnight after Boswell's departure, Mr. Langdon bought at Nottingham Fair fifteen ton of cheese, which, at an ounce apiece, will suffice after dinner for four hundred and eighty thousand men. To arrive at this number, he must have taken a hundred weight as equal to not a hundred and twelve, but a hundred pounds. End of footnote. He pressed upon me the importance of planting at the first in a very sufficient manner quoting the saying in bello non licet bisserare and adding this is equally true in planting i spoke with gratitude of dr taylor's hospitality and as evidence that it was not on account of his good table alone that johnson visited him often i mentioned a little anecdote which had escaped my friend's recollection and at hearing which repeated he smiled. One evening, when I was sitting with him, Frank delivered this message. Sir, Dr. Taylor sends his compliments to you and begs you will dine with him tomorrow. He has got a hare. My compliments, said Johnson, and I'll dine with him, hare or rabbit. After breakfast, I departed and pursued my journey northwards. Footnote. Johnson wrote the next day, Boswell is gone, and is, I hope, pleased that he has been here, though to look on anything with pleasure is not very common. He has been gay and good-humoured in his usual way, but we have not agreed upon any other expedition. End of footnote. I took my post-chaise from the Green Man, a very good inn at Ashbourne, the mistress of which, a mighty civil gentlewoman, curtsying very low presented me with an engraving of the sign of her house to which she had subjoined in her own handwriting an address in such singular simplicity of style that i have preserved it pasted upon one of the boards of my original journal at this time 
and shall here insert it for the amusement of my readers. M. Killingley's duty waits upon Mr. Boswell, is exceedingly obliged to him for this favour. Whenever he comes this way, hopes for a continuance of the same. Would Mr. Boswell name the house to his extensive acquaintance, it would be a singular favour conferred on one who has it not in her power to make any other return but her most grateful thanks and sincerest prayers for his happiness in time and in a blessed eternity. Tuesday morning. From this meeting at Ashbourne I derived a considerable accession to my Johnsonian store. I communicated my original journal to Sir William Forbes, in whom I have always placed deserved confidence, and what he wrote to me concerning it is so much to my credit as the biographer of Johnson, that my readers will, I hope, grant me their indulgence for here inserting it. It is not once or twice going over it, says Sir William, that will satisfy me, for I find in it a high degree of instruction as well as entertainment, and I derive more benefit from Dr. Johnson's admirable discussions than I should be able to draw from his personal conversation, for I suppose there is not a man in the world to whom he discloses his sentiments so freely as to yourself. I cannot omit a curious circumstance which occurred at Edensor in close by Chatsworth, to survey the magnificence of which I had gone a considerable way out of my road to Scotland. The inn was then kept by a very jolly landlord, whose name I think was Moulton. He happened to mention that the celebrated Dr. Johnson had been in his house. I inquired who this Dr. Johnson was, that I might hear mine host's notion of him. Sir, said he, Johnson the great writer, oddity, as they call him, he's the greatest writer in England, he writes for the ministry, he has a correspondence abroad, and lets them know what's going on. Footnote. The landlord at Allen said that he heard he was the greatest man in England next to Lord Mansfield. End of footnote. My friend, who had a thorough dependence upon the authenticity of my relation without any embellishment, as falsehood or fiction is too gently called, laughed a good deal at this representation of himself. Mr. Boswell to Dr. Johnson, Edinburgh, September the 29th, 1777. My dear sir, by the first post I inform you of my safe arrival at my own house, and that I had the comfort of finding my wife and children all in good health. When I look back upon our late interview, it appears to me to have answered expectation better than almost any scheme of happiness that I ever put in execution. My journal is stored with wisdom and wit. Footnote. Johnson wrote to Mrs. Thrale, Boswell kept his journal very diligently. But then, what was there to journalise? I should be glad to see what he says of star, 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 star. The number of stars renders it likely that Beauclerc is meant. End of footnote. 
and my memory is filled with the recollection of lively and affectionate feelings which now i think yield me more satisfaction than at the time when they were first excited i have experienced this upon other occasions i shall be obliged to you if you will explain it to me for it seems wonderful that pleasure should be more vivid at a distance than when near i wish you may find yourself in a humour to do me this favour but i flatter myself with no strong hope of it for i have observed that unless upon very serious occasions your letters to me are not answers to those which i write i then expressed much uneasiness that i had mentioned to him the name of the gentleman footnote mr beauclerc end of footnote who had told me the story so much to his disadvantage the truth of which he had completely refuted for that my having done so might be interpreted as a breach of confidence and offend one whose society i valued therefore earnestly requesting that no notice might be taken of it to anybody till i should be in london and have an opportunity to talk it over with the gentleman to james boswell esq dear sir you will wonder or you have wondered why no letter has come from me what you wrote at your return had in it such a strain of cowardly caution as gave me no pleasure i could not well do what you wished i had no need to vex you with a refusal i have seen mr blank footnote beauclerc end of footnote and as to him have set all right without any inconvenience so far as i know to you mrs thrale had forgot the story you may now be at ease and at ease i certainly wish you for the kindness that you showed me in coming so long a journey to see me it was a pity to keep you so long in pain but upon reviewing the matter i do not see what i could have done better than as i did i hope you found at your return my dear enemy and all her little people quite well and had no reason to repent of your journey i think on it with great gratitude footnote johnson wrote to mrs thrale boswell says that his wife does not love me quite well yet though we have made a formal peace End of footnote i was not well when you left me at the doctor's and i grew worse yet i stayed on and at lichfield was very ill travelling however did not make me worse and when i came to london i complied with the summons to go to brighthelmston where i saw beauclerc and stayed three days our club has recommenced last friday but i was not there langton has another wench Footnote a daughter born to him boswell mr croker says that this daughter was miss jane langton End of footnote. mrs thrale is in hopes of a young brewer footnote. she already had eleven children of whom seven were by this time dead this time a daughter was born and not a young brewer End of footnote. they got by their trade last year a very large sum and their expenses are proportionate footnote. three months earlier johnson wrote to mrs thrale 
we are not far from the great year of a hundred thousand barrels which if three shillings be gained upon each barrel will bring us fifteen thousand pounds a year we may see how here as elsewhere he makes himself almost one with the thrales End of footnote. mrs williams health is very bad and i have had for some time a very difficult and laborious respiration but i am better by purges abstinence and other methods i am yet however much behindhand in my health and rest dr blair's sermons are now universally commended but let him think that i had the honour of first finding and first praising his excellencies i did not stay to add my voice to that of the public my dear friend let me thank you once more for your visit you did me great honour and i hope met with nothing that displeased you i stayed long at ashbourne not much pleased yet awkward at departing i then went to lichfield where i found my friend at stowe hill very dangerously diseased footnote mrs aston boswell end of footnote such is life let us try to pass it well whatever it may be for there is surely something beyond it well now i hope all is well write as soon as you can to dear sir your affectionate servant samuel johnson london november the twenty fifth seventeen seventy seven to dr samuel johnson edinburgh november the twenty ninth seventeen seventy seven my dear sir this day's post has at length relieved me from much uneasiness by bringing me a letter from you i was indeed doubly uneasy on my own account and yours i was very anxious to be secured against any bad consequences from my imprudence in mentioning the gentleman's name who had told me a story to your disadvantage and as i could hardly suppose it possible that you would delay so long to make me easy unless you were ill i was not a little apprehensive about you you must not be offended when i venture to tell you that you appear to me to have been too rigid upon this occasion the cowardly caution which gave you no pleasure was suggested to me by a friend here to whom i mentioned the strange story and the detection of its falsity as an instance how one may be deceived by what is apparently very good authority but as i am still persuaded that as i might have obtained the truth without mentioning the gentleman's name it was wrong in me to do it i cannot see that you are just in blaming my caution but if you were ever so just in your disapprobation might you not have dealt more tenderly with me i went to auchinleck about the middle of october and passed some time with my father very comfortably i am engaged in a criminal prosecution against a country schoolmaster for indecent behaviour to his female scholars there is no statute against such abominable conduct but it is punishable at common law 
i shall be obliged to you for your assistance in this extraordinary trial i am as ever my dear sir your faithful humble servant james boswell about this time i wrote to johnson giving him an account of the decision of the negro cause by the court of session which by those who hold even the mildest and best regulated slavery in abomination of which number i do not hesitate to claim that i am none should be remembered with high respect and to the credit of scotland for it went upon a much broader ground than the case of somerset which was decided in england being truly the general question whether a perpetual obligation of service to one master in any mode should be sanctified by the law of a free country a negro then called joseph knight a native of africa who having been brought to jamaica in the usual course of the slave trade and purchased by a scotch gentleman in that island had attended his master to scotland where it was officiously suggested to him that he would be found entitled to his liberty without any limitation he accordingly brought his action in the course of which the advocates on both sides did themselves great honour mr maclaren has had the praise of johnson for his argument in favour of the negro and mr mcconachie distinguished himself on the same side by his ingenuity and extraordinary research footnote the motto to it was happily chosen quam vis ille niger quam vis tu candidus esses i cannot avoid mentioning a circumstance no less strange than true that a brother advocate in considerable practice but of whom it certainly cannot be said ingenuas didicet fidelita artes asked mr maclaurin with a face of flippant assurance are these words your own boswell sir walter scott shows where the humour of this motto chiefly lay the counsel opposite he writes was the celebrated white an excellent lawyer but of very homely appearance with heavy features a blind eye which projected from its socket a swag belly and a limp to him maclaurin applied the lines of virgil quam vis ille niger quam vis tu candidus esses o famose puer nimium ne crere colori though he was black and thou art heavenly fair trust not too much to that enchanting face dryden mr maclaurin wrote an essay against the homeric tale of troy divine i believe for the sole purpose of introducing a happy motto non anni domoere decim non mille carine End of footnote. mr cullen on the part of the master discovered good information and sound reasoning in which he was well supported by mr james ferguson remarkable for a manly understanding and a knowledge both of books and of the world but i cannot too highly praise the speech which mr henry dundas 
generously contributed to the cause of the sooty stranger. Mr. Dundas's Scottish accent, which has been so often in vain obtruded as an objection to his powerful abilities in Parliament, was no disadvantage to him in his own country. Footnote. There is no doubt some malice in this second mention of Dundas's Scottish accent. Boswell complained to Temple in 1789 that Dundas had not behaved well to himself or his brother David. The fact is, he writes, on David's being obliged to quit Spain on account of the war, Dundas promised to my father that he would give him an office. Some time after my father's death, Dundas renewed the assurance to me in strong terms and told me he had said to Lord Carmarthen, It is a deathbed promise, and I must fulfil it. Yet David has now been kept waiting above eight years, when he might have established himself again in trade. This is cruel usage. Boswell adds, I strongly suspect Dundas has given Pitt a prejudice against me. The excellent Langton says it is disgraceful. It is utter folly in Pitt not to reward and attach to his administration a man of my popular and pleasant talents, whose merit he has acknowledged in a letter under his own hand. End of footnote. And I do declare that upon this memorable question he impressed me, and I believe all his audience, with such feelings as were produced by some of the most eminent orations of antiquity. This testimony I liberally give to the excellence of an old friend with whom it has been my lot to differ very widely upon many political topics. Yet I persuade myself without malice. A great majority of the Lords of Session decided for the Negro, but four of their number, the Lord President, Lord Elioch, Lord Mombodo, and Lord Covington, resolutely maintained the lawfulness of a status which has been acknowledged in all ages and countries, and that when freedom flourished as in old Greece and Rome. Footnote. Knight was kidnapped when a child and sold to a Mr. Wedderburn of Ballandine, who employed him as his personal servant. In 1769 his master brought him to Britain, and from that time allowed him sixpence a week for pocket money. By the assistance of his fellow servants he learnt to read. In 1772 he read in a newspaper the report of the decision in the Somerset case. From that time, said Mr. Ferguson, he had had it in his head to leave his master's service. In 1773 he married a fellow servant, and finding sixpence a week insufficient for married life, applied for ordinary wages. This request being refused, he signified his intention of seeking service elsewhere. On his master's petition to the justices of peace of Perthshire, he was brought before them on a warrant. They decided that he must continue with him as formerly. For some time he continued accordingly, 
but a child being born to him he petitioned the sheriff who decided in his favour he thereupon left the house of his master who removed the cause into the court of session ferguson maintained that there are many examples of greater servitude in this country scotland than that claimed by the defender mr wedderbourne the plaintiff there still exists a species of perpetual servitude which is supported by late statutes and by daily practice namely that which takes place with regard to the colliers and sailors where from the single circumstance of entering to work after puberty they are bound to perpetual service and sold along with the works End of footnote. End of section 23.